Light of Infinite. When John Batiste won the well-deserved Grammy for the best album, his speech was beautiful. He got up there in such an idle way and shared, wow, thank you. You know, I really, I believed this to my core. There's no best musician, best artist, best dancer, best actor. The creative arts are subjective and they reach people at a point in their lives when they need it the most. It's like a song or an album is made and it almost has a radar to find the person when they need it the most. I mean, man, like, I like to thank God. I just put my head down and I work on my craft every day. I love music. I've been playing since I was a little boy. It's more than entertainment for me. It's a spiritual practice. And there's so many people that went into making this album. My grandfather's on the album, my nephew, my dad's here, my executive producer, Ryan Lynn, right there. Come here, man, I didn't do this by myself. Then Ryan Lynn, who lives in my neighborhood, comes up wearing a kippah, hugs John, and sits right back down. It was a beautiful moment, a Kiddush Hashem. What John shared is true. Music and experiences and lessons do reach people in their lives when they need it the most. That's the very definition of Hashkacha Prati, divine providence. A few days ago, it hit me. I thought, faith fuels the future. Fear stirs the past. When we experience something or resonate with something that speaks to an experience we're going through, it's human emotion and connection that validates some of our own hurt and healing. With that validation, we can realize everyone goes through it. And as Nas reminds us, you gotta appreciate the moments. Bad times don't last. But we have to lean into the faith that the heavy moments pass and open us up to a newer and better path. Faith in the future also brings the future we want. If we resist, we are blocking possibilities. But when we open ourselves up to the infinite possibilities that we are often too blinded by the past to actually see, then we can actually manifest better for ourselves. It's when we stir in the past that fear blocks the infinite goodness that the future holds. In this parsha, Hashem mentions keeping his statutes as a way for the rain to fall down on us. It's because the rain is already for us, but for it to rain down blessings, we need to be open for it to fall. Last week, we covered the importance of releasing control and connecting, this being the purpose of Shabbat and Shemitah. This week, Parshat Pachukotai, my statutes, we learn how to truly connect and how this unification brings blessings. It's funny because thinking of John Batiste's synchronicity and listening to Kendrick Lamar's new album, which has been speaking to me on many levels, I can't help but think that the chorus on Die Hard, imagining it being a response to the first few psukim in this parsha, singing out to Hashem. He goes, I hope I'm not too late to set my demons straight. I know I made you wait, but how much can you take? I hope you see the God in me. I hope you can see. The Parsha spells out the blessings that await if we follow what Hashem has laid out for us so clearly. If we focus on the part of us that is our godly soul. But it also spells out what can happen if we disconnect from our godly soul and become slaves to our animal soul. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commandments, and then it goes on, I will provide you with the rains in their season. This is a curious verse since if the purpose of it is to teach us to keep the mitzvot, then wouldn't it be enough to say, follow my statutes? It seems superfluous to add, keep Hashem's commandments. This is a question Sifri, as stated by Rashi, poses. The answer is that in keeping the mitzvot and the action of doing and not doing what's commanded, mitzvot aseh, the commandments to actively do, and mitzvot lotaseh, commandments to not do, the verse is meant to cover both the studying of the Torah and its mitzvot as well as keeping them lishma for their own sake and for the sake of giving delight to Hashem. Mitzvot are divided into three categories, chukim, mishpatim, and edot. In the Pasuk it's written b'chukotai, which is the name of this parsha and has the root of chukim. Chukim are the mitzvot, which no reason is given and we cannot rationalize. 
These are a distinct minority in the Torah. The overwhelming majority are the other two categories, as the Torah was given in a way for human beings to comprehend. The most enigmatic of the Chukim is the ritual of Parah Duma, the red heifer, which was used for ritual purification. Mishpatim are rational mitzvot, and even without the Torah, would eventually surface as the only sustainable societal precept. This includes the commandments against theft and murder. A dot are the mitzvot that are dedicated to remembering events and or ideals. This includes observing Shabbat as a reminder of Hashem's creating the world, just as Pesach as a reminder of the exodus from Egypt. These are not practices we would necessarily have thought of ourselves, but they are logical, unlike Hukim, that are beyond our comprehension. Interestingly enough, it happens to be in Parshat Mishpatim that I wrote, it seems that we are all in various states of disconnect. Some might even say spiritually sick. We attempt to heal, but it's a long journey and often feels impossible. When we attempt to heal our physical selves, it's in much of the same way of doing and hearing, seeing, Nasevanishma. When a doctor prescribes a medication, we need to heal ourselves. We take it in good faith. We don't first go to medical school researching every element of it and only taking the medication after. If that were the case, we would remain sick, no doubt getting worse and worse. We take it in faith because it benefits our physical selves and isn't contingent on our knowing its inner workings. In fact, by taking it, we can start to see clearer, feel better, and get a better understanding of how the medicine helped. It's the same with our spiritual selves. The more we are in the space of Naseh Nishma, we will do and we will listen, learn, with the mitzvot, the more elevated our spirit, and by virtue of that, our physical selves will be. That's the emphasis of this parsha of Chukatai and Chukim, as even the mitzvot that we cannot rationalize or comprehend, even those we have to follow. And in those, we can show our full faith, connecting and reaping the benefits both in this world and the next. In Mikutei Torah, the Alter Rebbe interprets the term Bechukotai as related to the word Chakika, which means engraved. This is meant to teach us that not only are we commanded to keep the mitzvot, but we have to labor in the study and learning Torah until it's engraved within us. We write the letter of the Torah on parchment, and though independent of the parchment, they become united with the parchment. That's the process of continuing the tradition of writing the Torah. Engraving on a deeper level is when the letters are not an independent entity, as they cannot be separated from the object they have been engraved into. The two become one, and that is what the Chukotai is about. It's when we become one with the Torah that Hashem is in this world. Last week I was going back to the beginning of Tanya, where it teaches exactly this point in Chapter 4, Section 2, Merging with God. Chapter 4 discusses the importance of the outer self, the garments of ourselves we express through thought, speech, and action and it stresses the importance of it as completing the inner self, which is intellectual and emotional conviction. To simply love and revere Hashem is not enough. The Chukotai comes to teach us the importance of expression, not only word and action, but through Dvekut, a clinging which comes from a true understanding. The Zohar teaches that the Torah and God are totally one. The Altar Rebbe expounds on this, stating that the Torah, which seems to be a glimmer of the divine, is actually wisdom and will of God, and is completely one with God himself. It seems counterintuitive for an infinite light to be one with a finite element on earth given for us, but that is exactly what transcendence is. And as the Ramam says, he and his wisdom are one. Hashem is simultaneously the knower, the power to know, and the known. When Kendrick Lamar's song pleads, I hope you see the God in me, it's alluding to the fact that we are all made in God's image. And if we could remember that, when we engrave ourselves with Torah, as the Parsha insists, we become unified with our source. We can become light and see the light in each other, and that brings blessings to all of us. 
But this is only done when we tap into and focus on the part of ourselves, our godly selves, and not the garment of it, which is animalistic. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov reminds us that the purpose of life is to uplift the physical and animalistic part of ourselves to serve our spiritual selves. And the first Pasuk of the Parsha, immediately following the reminder to keep Hashem's commandments, we are told that blessings will follow. One could ask, why the material blessings for the spiritual pursuits? Why bless the body for the achievement of the soul if the soul is more important than a separate entity? The answer lies in the realities of this world and that the soul cannot attain the spiritual heights by itself. In this world, it needs to be the body. The body is the garment that facilitates its elevation. It is indeed the only way for a person to remain in the physical world while engaging in spiritual devotion. It's the delicate balance of Ratsova Shov, which means to run and return, which we covered a few weeks ago in Acharema. The physical act of eating keeps the body and soul together so that the spiritual growth can take place. Rabbi Nachman teaches that if a person strives to find Hashem and is worthy, the person's eating can elevate them to a level of desire and will for Hashem that transcends many other spiritual attainments. And in such a case, the person's physical desires not only support their spiritual longing, but could actually mirror them. We read, And it continues, but if you do not listen to me and do not perform all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes and your soul detests my laws so that you stop performing my commandments, you will have broken my covenant. I in turn will do this to you. I will wreak misery upon you. It says in Mishle, as water reflects face to face, so does the heart of a man to man. There's a reciprocal relationship, one bringing about the other. We mirror each other just as one good deed brings another in its wake, the reverse is also true. As we read these psukim outlining exactly how to act in this world, and when that is aligned, the blessings rain down from above as the water reflects water. The psukim outline that if we deny the truth, the light and life itself in that sense, the same reflects back to us in this world. There was a son of a tzaddik at 10 years old. He loved to hear his father read the Torah, even when it was the tochacha, the vivid curses. One year his father was sick and unable to read the Torah, and that tochacha section. So someone else read the Torah in his place. When his son heard the tochacha, he fell to the ground and fainted. He was bedridden for months. Once recovered, he was asked why for the first time the tochacha had such an effect on him. He replied, every year my father reads the tochacha, and when my father reads it, I only hear blessings. We have to realize that it's the same with us. When we realize the bad is for our good, it's our Abba Hashem putting us through a lesson for ultimate growth and to put us on the right path. Then we are able to have the emunah, the faith and bitachon, the trust that is all for our own good. Like at Sadiq, we can take any temporal misery with joy as the concealment of good that will reveal itself soon enough. The Alter Rebbe explains that all the tochecha in this parsha are in fact blessings, and the Tzemach Tzedek draws an analogy of this as recorded in the Talmud when Rav Shimon Bar Yochai sent his son to receive blessings from two rabbin. When his son returned, he complained that he did not receive blessings at all. Quite the opposite, it felt more like tochecha. His father of Shimon replied that all their words were truly blessings. And as the Temach Tzedek explains, because the blessings were so sublime, they were only able to express it in such a way. But the Talmud asked, if they were so sublime in that way and needed to be disguised as tochecha, how could Rav Shimon interpret them so openly? It's exactly this lesson that we learn in the Tanya, that affliction and suffering in this world are really the goodness and the hidden world and the aspects of Yud and hey in the Havaya, the Tetragrammaton, the four letter holy name of Hashem. And it manifests as a shade and not as a light, 
revealed goodness. The Havaya is broken into two aspects. First, the Yud and the He signify that which is concealed, levels or worlds so sublime that they are hidden and concealed in our current reality. The second half, the letter Vav and He, represent the revealed levels or worlds that are able to manifest and be seen by us in the current state or current reality. When we accept the suffering in this world with emunah and even joy, then it says in Shoftim, they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might, which is as the world to come, where the suffering we endure in this world will be seen for what it truly is, manifest goodness. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai's soul's mission was to reveal Pnimiyut Torah, the hidden inner dimensions of the Torah, and in this, souls experience elements of illumination reserved for the world to come, but they reveal it in their present personification. For this reason, Rav Shimon was able to see the reality of the concealed blessings that the rabbis had given his son. We, of course, are not on the level of Rav Shimon and able to bring down the concealment in such a way as he did with the Zohar, but the lesson is the Tochacha, which is seemingly only for our suffering, is actually for our ultimate good. And when we can truly believe that, then we can see the blessings that it will bring and exist in it with joy. The two aspects of the Hay and the Havaya and the name, the holy name of Hashem, bring to mind this necklace that I received. There's a hay on top, fold out, and actually engraved, and then there's a hay below, which is a bit hollow. It's a gorgeous necklace, and I had to have one after I saw my friend Joshua wearing it. His story with this piece of jewelry, which you can see if you go to lightofinfinite.com, is pretty amazing. He was leading a birthright trip, and the kids saw him admiring the necklace in a very deep and profound way, as if he was divinely drawn to it. They were able to feel the connection he had with it, and so they secretly bought it for him and gifted it to him on the last day of the trip. He wore it for years and it always kept him connected and being of service and giving. After a few years, he lost the necklace. But then his grandfather came to him in a dream on Rosh Hashanah. He explained to his grandfather how he had lost this precious necklace. And just then his grandfather smiled and pulled the necklace out from under his shirt and put it around his neck. And then like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he suddenly disappeared. His grandfather passed away a few years ago and it was a gift to see him again. He woke up to the first rain of the season. The dream state was great but he woke up with the necklace on his mind. Somehow the designer, Avram Lowenthal, heard this story and immediately sent him one. Much like Bechukotai outlines the two ways in which we could choose to act in this world, one bringing blessings and the other blocking them, the necklace signifies how we can emulate our source. The upper and lower hay depicted in the necklace and in the world are about giving, receiving, and oneness. Kabbalistically, the letters that spell out the divine name represent aspects of our inner consciousness. The upper hay represents our desire to give, and the lower hay represents our desire to receive. Our source perpetually gives without the need or desire to receive, and this correlates and is mirrored to the extent in which we give. Meanwhile, the lower hay ascending to the upper hay represents our spiritual awakening to pure giving and unconditional love. This inner transformation, when manifested, enables us to experience the infinite goodness that is the source of all reality. The lower hay is empty because if we only focus on receiving, we are hollow. When we recognize the giving nature of the universe and that it's imperative to be in alignment, we can discover that as we attain deeper levels of giving and love, we attain wholeness and deeper levels of divine union. That's why in Hebrew, the word for love, ava, has hav, meaning to give, at its root. You notice the upper hay is engraved into the necklace. It's only when we attach ourselves in such a way to our source, through learning the Torah and keeping the mitzvot lishma, that we can become love, become light, and manifest blessings for ourselves and each other. Oftentimes I'll free verse poetic around my dvars as I write, so I thought I'd end this one on one of the poems that I wrote for this week. 
So here goes. Don't trip on the infinite minutia. Don't take ad nauseum. Just give, love, live. The world is infinite and gives to the giving, loves the truly living, and shines light on the ones who create space for it. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.